Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 210. This episode was recorded in two parts uh, over the course of a couple weeks. But I want to remind you guys, you only have a little over a month left to get my necklace collection at bobblebar.com, B-A-U-B-L-E bar.com. Now, let me explain once again. These are custom-made necklaces. They do not exist until you design it yourself and hit purchase. They won't exist unless you do that. I do not have any with me. I'm not carrying around on the road. They won't be for sale on my website after they are intellectual property of Bobble Bar. This is the time to do it. Now, every first-time shopper, I believe, gets 15% off on their website. And every necklace you buy, you get points towards getting another necklace. So come on and do it. Go to bobblebar.com and search my name, Jen Kirkman, or go straight to my website, jenkirkman.com. Right there on the homepage is the link to everything and all the information that you could possibly need. But I will go over it for you one more time, one more night. So again, bobblebar.com slash jen dash Kirkman, or go straight to my website. We have necklaces that say boss, feminist AF, hashtag goals, single, taken, cat lady, unavailable, over 40, 20, nothing, 30 ish, child free. I love me. I can't laundry day and not today. Those are the expressions for sale. They come, some of them are little bar necklaces. Some of them are those carry necklaces. You know, it looks like a uh, cursive. Um, some are block kind of cool printing. They are, they come in at least 15 different acrylic colors. You can pick gold or silver and the chain length. Now over 40 and child free are also available in a super, super more expensive, anywhere from one to $300 real gold, real silver range. The others are kept at a nice price for fun acrylic necklaces. Ladies have been loving them. I get pictures all the time from ladies who wear my necklace. So if you bought one, Send one to me on Twitter or on Instagram. Tag me and put hashtag JK Bobble, B-A-U-B-L-E. That way I can definitely see it. 
and do it. You help support my small business and it's only until December 31st. They make great gifts. People are loving the feminist AF ones, the over 40 and the cat lady ones. Those are people's favorites. I don't blame them. Everyone knows a cat lady or a feminist or someone who's over 40, don't ya? Don't ya? So go get them now. Enjoy this week's episode. I see I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 209. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm taping this in advance. So I know you're probably wondering how did my shows go in North Carolina and Georgia and Tennessee, but I don't know yet because I haven't done them yet. I know I'm cheating. I'm cheating. But listen, we can both experience the future together because we know not what it brings, but I will tell you one thing that it brings is my dysfunctional annual Christmas show at the Hollywood Improv. Bring a book, a children's book, unwrapped for the Barnes & Noble book drive, and there will be raffles out front, and we will be donating the raffle money to the Los Angeles Food Bank and I'll be selling merchandise at the show so you can do your Christmas shopping there. You can get people copies of my books as Christmas gifts. And I think the book that you're going to want to buy the most is my I Can Barely Take Care of Myself, Tales from a Happy Life Without Kids. I just have a feeling as more people find out about me, they're going to need that book to give to their family members, their family members and friends that don't want kids, or they give it as a gift to tell people, hey, I don't want to kids. This is how I'm telling you. Or it's a gift you give yourself. All right. So what was I going to say to you people? I don't even know. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace, the online therapy company. You'll be hearing more later all about that. I only have a few tour dates left. It's just going to be in uh, Ohio. In fact, it starts by the time you hear this Wednesday night. I'm going to be in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Not in that order. I think it's Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus. So if you have tickets for these events, please tweet at me and use hashtag JKTOR2017, J-K-T-O-U-R-2017. And let's sell out these shows. I think Columbus is going to sell out. If it's not already sold out by now, it's a very small space. So that's why I'm saying that. Um, I would get to that Cleveland show if I were y'alls. And uh, there won't be meet and greets at these shows, uh, the professional OMG VIP kind, but there will be merchandise for sale before and after the show. And sometimes I make an appearance at the merch table. So you'll be able to maybe say hello, get a photo, whatever you want. I love saying that sounds so obnoxious. It sounds like I think I'm this amazing thing that everyone wants to get a picture with. Like I'm like I'm the Great Wall of China. Maybe I'll let you take a picture of me. Oh, um, you can follow the podcast at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter and Facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. Yes, I know Twitter and Facebook have been compromised by the Russians, but listen, this is how I make my living. So until they shut those sites down, I will be part of the problem. Okay. I'm sorry. I draw the line at not making a living just because Mark Zuckerberg let them uh, buy fake ads with their rubles. I see it as I'm putting non-fake news onto Facebook. I don't lie. If I say I have a show, it's not a lie. 
Send an email to iSeemFun at gmail.com if you have any questions or things you want me to talk about on the show. Again, don't forget to shop my jewelry collection at Bobble Bar, B-A-U-B-L-E bar.com. Go to my website, jenkirkman.com. Right on the homepage is all the details you need to know about designing your own necklace. And they take about, if you get the really expensive, fancy kind, they can take about three to four weeks to ship. So you got to buy it now for Christmas. The other kind, I think, takes about a week to ship. So you should be fine. But get up in there because, again, it ends December 31st. And no, these necklaces will not be available anywhere after that because they are not made until you order them. And I'm under contract with this company, so I cannot just take it elsewhere. When it's over, it's over. All right. And you can go to iTunes, give this podcast a review, give it five stars. And I think that's all I need to tell you right now. I think that's all I need to tell you for right now. Oh my God. I don't even know what I want to talk about. I want to read this thing. I'll get it out of the way for you single ladies out there. So, um, in the 1800s, a spinster was a woman who wasn't married. And in Bust Magazine, um, this writer that writes for Bust Magazine came across something called the Spinster's Numeration Table. It was printed in 1837 in New Monthly Magazine. And it's supposed to be satirical, like the article that was written is satire, but it's not making fun of the fact that people call single women spinsters. That's not the satire. The satire is exactly what they're doing at certain ages, but it's it's also true, if that makes sense. They're saying, no, women do these things at certain ages, but we're going to write it in a funny way. But they are not at all commenting on the fact that it's wrong to be called a spinster because you're a single woman. That was not part of the satire at all. So this was meant to be funny. Uh, as they said, the table lists out the various ages of an unmarried woman and corresponds them to certain characteristics. It's meant to be humorous, but as with all humor of this sort, there's a grain of historical truth to be gleaned from the descriptions. The table gives us insight into how spinsters were viewed and at what age unmarried women were deemed to be past their prime. Oh my God. Okay. It starts at 17 years old. Uh, 17, 18, 19, they're saying a woman has vast notions of a love match. She's, uh, her spirits are high. She's addicted to archery. They're willing to accept every partner that offers a ballroom dance. Uh, you know, by 21, beginning to understand the meaning of the words younger brother. I guess they're saying all the men your age are taken because you're 21 now. <laughs> you're going to be dead soon. So you might want to get into uh, a younger man, you know, like an 18 year old. 22 years, softened in complexion, hardened in heart. Can you imagine you young people out there? If by 22, if you weren't married, not even dating, married, that your heart was thought to be, that's an appropriate age for it to harden. Not that it should ever harden, but, you know, um, okay, 23 years, fidgety, uh, some of these words, I don't even know what they're saying, fidgety, respecting all max, like this is not even English, so I'm going to try to uh, interpret as best I can and skip some sentences, 
Um, okay, 23 years old. Refuses a country squire, sighs for the drawing room, and prattles, a, and prattles on about a diamond necklace. What's a squire? Is it a type of man? She refuses. I guess she's saying like she, hang on, a squire. Oh, he acted as a knight's errand runner. Okay. I guess they're saying at that age, the best you could do is date the errand runner of a knight. But she'll even refuse that. Uh, 24 years, the age of supreme loveliness and surpassing vanity, beauty and elegance in full bloom. Oh, 25 years, surprised at still being single and beginning to count the conquests of the season. 26 years, torments Papa to spend the winter at Brighton and gives him dinner parties, rides showy horses. 27 years, hair and shoulders growing rather thin. What? It's so weird to me, like the evolution of like, okay, so when you do get older, your hair does start to thin out, right? But it's like in your, you know, elderly years. Was When people lived less long, shorter lives, was their hair thinning in their 20s? And how did we evolve past that? Like what did certain nutrients get in our body? Like it just seems, it seems the evolution of living longer happens really fast. But Okay, so... What you just heard of me reading about spinsters is like, I think I started recording that like two weeks ago. So, um, and then I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I, I stopped and st- I don't, different episodes became different things. So I am here. My tour, I'm going to continue reading the spinster thing and then, then we'll get into what I was talking about. So I don't even remember what number I left off on. I mean, I could go look, but why bother? Why bother? Okay. And it seems forever ago that I was reading this, but to you, it'll just be what just happened. And you'll be like, no, but you know what I'm saying? Okay. So I'm finishing this. I'm, my tour has ended. I'm at my sister's house. I'm recording. Um, okay. Spinsters. I think I might remember if I see it. Okay. Uh, Okay, 28 years. Nose a little red before breakfast. I don't know what that's supposed to imply. Sometimes my nose gets red for no reason. And it's really weird. Uh, I mean, like, I won't have had a glass of alcohol or anything. That just gets red for like an hour a day. Um, thinks it's possible to marry a widower and pass eight months of the year on his estate, considers tableau and charades silly things. 29 years old, if you're a spinster, hazards a second glass of wine at dinner. I don't know if hazards means... Do I not know anything? I'm going to hazard a guess. Take. I'm Googling hazards a second glass of wine at dinner. I think it means take. Because you think if you're a spinster, you want to drink more. I don't give a shit. I just put the... Why am I Googling that? Takes an interest in the debates. Refuses to figure in a quadrille of beauty among the chits of the day. Brighten a frivolous gossiping place. Okay. I don't understand. Old, oldie with an E. Old English humor. But I think there's something funny about this. 31 years. Uh, 
Waist increased, smiles diminished by a speck upon a front tooth. <laughs> well, that's your fault, people, for not having freaking dentistry correctly back then. Um, 32 years old, replaces the specked tooth with a malin. I don't know what a malin is. Is this Mitty's? Hi, Mitty's. Mitty, my sister's cat, is following me around for days. She snuggles with me every second. She's just come in. Mitty. Mitty. Mitty's. Oh, come on up, Mitty. Auntie Jen's doing a podcast. God, I love this cat so much. I don't know what to do. I can't have a cat of my own because it wouldn't make me happy. And my building doesn't allow them. And I don't want last minute expenses. And I don't want hair everywhere. And I just don't want it. Hi, Mitty's. Say hi, Mitty. Mitty. Mitty, why aren't you saying anything? Oh my God, this is the most annoying podcast. You hear me being a total cat psycho. Hi, Mitty. Oh, what a Mitty. Okay. Mittens was the name of my childhood cat that died when I was 12 and still not over it. It's so traumatizing. And then my sister always has a black... Mitty, don't step, step right on the papers. My sister always has a black and white cat named Mittens in her life. Um, Miss Mitty passed away five years ago and then she got... Okay, I'm going to have to take a picture of Mittens. <laughs> Mitty, what are you doing? Okay, no, don't rub your face on the podcasting equipment. Oh, what a midi. What a midi kitty. All right, sit down. Oh, it's so hard to podcast with a midi because she's so cute. Okay, tuxedo cat. Mittens, sit down. Sit down. No. <laughs> How is this a podcast? How is this a podcast that people actually advertise on is what I'm wondering. <laughs> Like, this is a legit podcast. And I'm talking to a cat. Speaking of advertising, you guys, I'm going to encourage you to get involved with my favorite advertiser, Talkspace.com. Now, I know what I'm supposed to say about them. Online therapy company, all that. We're going to get to that. But I actually went to their website. I don't mean actually, but I went to their website the other day and I was like, oh my God, there's stuff on here that they don't even ask me to say that I think is important to say. And if Talkspace will allow me, I'm going to go my own way. See how my voice is compromised. Go, you can go your own way. I have to go into a falsetto to do that. And it still sounds, that's the end of the tour acid reflux voice. Um, but we are fighting against it. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Sorry. I'm stalling because I'm trying to find, um, Okay. So yes, today's show is sponsored by Talkspace. You know, they sponsored me before they knew that the whole episode was going to be me talking to a cat, but listen, if millions of people love it, then, then, then they don't care. And I don't think millions of people listen to this podcast, but it's the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1500 licensed therapists, get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on the path to a happier life. For a special offer for my listeners, go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, J-E-N, one N in Jen. So um, I went to their website and I loved some of the things it said, which is that um, oh, I couldn't find it. Now I can't find it. Now I can't find it.
Oh, I don't even know. I was reading what the press had to say about it. Um, somebody said I could, uh, simply having someone to talk to about the troubles you face. Oh, the thing is going by so fast. Okay. Maybe that's why they give me actual copy to say instead of like reading off their website. (laughs) But, um, I thought it was cool. Um, yeah. So go to talkspace.com slash Jen. Um, your conversation carries over seamlessly across devices, which I think is really cool to know. And, uh, yeah. So, um, all of the therapists are licensed and background checked. They will not judge you. No therapist should. They have the same privacy rules as if you were in a traditional therapist's office. They can help you with depression, anxiety, challenges of being part of some, you know, if you're LGBT, it's, it's holiday season. If you're a veteran, whatever, they have the skills to understand how to speak to you. Again, don't forget for as little as $32 a week, you can get an experienced licensed therapist that you relate to. You match with your therapist. It's almost like a dating site, except don't date your therapist. Talkspace.com slash Jen. They are fully licensed They have gone through rigorous screening process in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. You can use coupon code Jen to get $30 off of your first month and to show your support for the podcast. That's Jen and Talkspace.com slash Jen Talkspace therapy for how we live today. Okay? Do it. I'm telling you guys, you're not going to believe it. What you're not going to believe. Oh, here it is. Sorry. Is that uh? So they're saying a lot of users report that they prefer Talkspace over traditional therapy, and many show improvement after just a few weeks. Um, Talkspace online therapy is about eighty percent cheaper than face-to-face therapy, and there are several payment options to choose from. Fifty um, percent of users would not have sought therapy if it weren't for Talkspace, which is a hundred percent confidential and anonymous. And it's convenient. Talk to your therapist wherever and whenever, on the web, mobile, without scheduling, traveling, or worrying about privacy. So that's where I was reading it from. If you go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, you can find out more about it. But I am a big fan of this service, and more therapy is never a bad thing. So, oh, Mitty's playing with a pen. Mitty. So if you are about to head home, to your family. You're listening to this a couple nights before Thanksgiving. Why not go to Talkspace.com slash Jen now? Now's the time, people. You've put it off long enough. This is your window. Okay. Back to spinsters. As I sit here with a cat. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, maybe you can play with that pen. It's just a pen, though. All right. It's so funny how we've been socialized to be like, if you don't find a man, you won't be happy. It's like, if you don't find a relationship, you might have something missing from your life. I've had so many relationships that like, I'm really enjoying being on my own right now, but not in a like avoidant, um, stubborn way where I don't want to meet anyone, but I literally was working 60, 70 hours a week and I had to complete both projects and I which was a tour and writing the script, which I'm still writing. And then I took on another job, um, hosting a podcast. I'm hosting this podcast. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you in a minute, but it was like, I just wouldn't have, t- I wouldn't even have had time for a current relationship, let alone meeting everyone. But with all this like sexual harassment stuff going on, like even the way men talk to me about it, I'm like, oh, you guys are so fucking clueless to our experience. Like I just, 
it doesn't make it very appealing for me just in a general way to think about like, oh, I'll go meet a man. It's like, I don't who, like what, like what, that's the group I go with because I'm straight. It's like, mm, I don't, I don't think it's so sad for a lady to sit around with her cats. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I just feel like I'm really smart and I want to exercise my intellect and, um, very rarely have I been able to do that in certain relationships. <laughs> um, and I know I just said that I'm an intellect and I'm sitting here and I'm about to go, hi, Minnie. <laughs> I'm completely having a breakdown. Okay. Um, more spinster stuff. 32 years old, thinks it's possible to pass the year round in the country with a man one esteems, wonders how anybody can care for diamonds. I guess as you get older, you care less for time. Um, 33 years old, prefers men of a certain age and frequents the ventilator. Capital V. I don't know what that is. 34 years, flattered by the attention of a boy of 18, accepts a stall at a fancy fair and resumes pink ribbons. 35 years, a slight tint of rouge, no harm by candlelight, conversational and a great acquisition in a country house. That sounds like an ideal age. 36 years, calls herself... Nine and 20 and would not be seen in a cap for the world takes to waltzing 37 years, keeps down the drawing room blinds and has the chariot new lined with yellow resumes the cotillion. Okay. She is scraggy, fretful, and desperate. Well, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous. That's a ridiculous. I'm going to take the greatest photo of Mitty and that's going to be my podcast cover this week. Mitty's making the best face. Oh my God. I can't wait. Okay. Um, let's see. How old am I? Okay. 38 years. Uh, flirts by moonlight left in the lurch by an, I don't even know what that says. Okay. 39 years old, spends the season with a cousin in Yorkshire where second rate London graces prove a bad substitute for the bloom of youth. 40 years, begins to busy herself about other people's affairs, quotes the matrimonial squabbles of her married friends, nose decidedly red, lips decidedly blue. 41 years, thanks her stars that she is single. See, that's what I was just saying. Thread papers and housewife ordered to lie on the table and a tabby cat under it. <laughs> 42 years, indignant when told how well she wears. That's what I was saying. That's my special came out when I was 42 and I was saying that. Attends church twice on a Sunday. 43 years old. Takes a constitutional walk before breakfast and antibilious pills before dinner. I don't know what that is. You guys, I'm really showing how dumb I am. And I kept saying what I was some great intellect before, and that's why I didn't want a relationship. But you know what I'm saying. Um, 49 years. I'm just skipping ahead. Gratified to be told how well she wears. Makes her will. Leaves all to her beloved Arabella, except an annuity to the cat and canary birds. How many animals is this? Okay, now we're 50. Mittens, what are you doing? 52 years, survives the cats and canaries and takes a companion. I wonder what they mean by companion. Do they mean a man? Do they mean some lady friend? Um, 54 years, settles at Bath, escapes the blue devils by becoming a blue. Okay, I don't know what any of this says. Good for you, good for, you for getting through that weird article, but I thought that was kind of funny. And uh, you can enjoy it. And this woman came up to me at my show in Austin and she was like, 
what is this spinster article you mentioned on Twitter? It went, it went away fast and I sent it to her. So if that lady's listening, then she'll enjoy it. Um, what can I tell you? So my tour is over. I know you all probably want me to talk about the Louis CK thing and all the sexual harassment. I did a show at the improv lab, my lab test show where I recorded it. And I talked for an hour 15 about my hell in the Louis situation, which had nothing to do with him. He did not take out his penis at me. I wouldn't lie about it. If he did, I would say something. I almost wish he did. So it would be more cut and dry. My story was one of just a young girl, a friend or men, not a mentor, but like a saying creepy shit. And she wasn't like offended or sad. It was just like, took it into consideration. He apologized. When I look back on my apology, he emailed me. I'm kind of like, Oh, it kind of reminded me of the apology he sent everyone else like in the media, which was like, you know, I mean, I guess I did admire him at one point, but like not, I admired everyone that was a comic and I liked one of his bits. It wasn't specific to him. Like, I think he thinks, and he sort of made some reference to like when he admired people and if they let him down, he is, he did say he's sorry, but he did lie and say, um, I don't remember what his email said, so I can't quote it. I thought he had lied and said, I never showed my penis, but maybe he said it a different way. Anyway, it doesn't, see, it doesn't matter. My whole story is this, is that I don't want it to become, so I recorded it, but I don't think I'm going to release it because I just can't trust anyone with nuance. I started getting harassed online by Gawker, by Jezebel. I'm not going to get into it. It's just so peaceful for me to stop talking about it. But with all the sexual harassment, it's like, I hear dudes saying, just don't be a douchebag. It's like, guys, it's like saying to white people that all we should do about racism is just don't be racist. We have to do more and you have to do more. You have to listen to women and not just go, oh, guess I can't say anything now. Can't hit on you. What am I supposed to say? Help me. It's like, because you were not inundated, like I'm going to give you an example. And this is my theory and my theory only, and my listeners of color might disagree. And I'm happy to hear your disagreement. Email me, I seem fun at gmail.com. But where my generation, the generation even younger than me, like whatever's between me and millennials, like their pop music of the day became hip hop. Like, and so they were admiring um, black artists forever. Now, I understand that you're going to say to me that black artists, you know, once they're white people, rich, like athletes, or they invented jazz and, you know, they've always been okay to entertain the whites. I understand that. I'm not saying this is the first time in history that white people enjoyed black culture, but in rap music, in hip hop, and I call it rap. My friends say I sound old when I do that, but, and there was this ability to empathize because it was like some hip hop music is about the struggle. And I grew up this and that and this. And and so there was this empathy that you enjoyed the music, you enjoyed the message even though you're not maybe experiencing what Ice Cube did, you're able, it it draws a feel. I mean, I know this from listening to myself. It draws a feeling up inside of me where I'm like, I understand um, this feeling that I'm having. It's making me feel like I want to rise up and like change things. And I have this empathy, understand what he's saying. So hip hop in general is a culture. Women is just still this blurry fluid. It's not a culture. You don't see an entire culture change where like all the kids are listening to whatever you would call women's music, you know? And because 
hip hop is a genre of music. Women isn't a genre of anything, but in each genre, in hip hop, in film, in everything, there are women's stories and we're sort of, men don't necessarily get socialized in the same way where they are not forced, but where it's like they don't have a choice because there's so many women's TV shows and women's movies and women's this, that it's just part of their life. Like growing up, I only saw stories about boys. So like I even just thought not only was empathetic to men, but just like I thought that was the norm. And then anything a woman does is something different instead of they just aren't showing my stories up there, you know? Um, back to the future ET. I mean, you just think of all the critically huge things. So until boys are raised reading female characters that are the protagonist and learning empathy where they don't even know they have it. Like, I don't mean everything has to, has to make you feel like an empath where you're like, Oh Lordy, that must be tough. I don't even mean that. I just mean, you're not like, listen to a woman thing. You know, I mean, it's just levels and layers that we have to cut through where the more women that are running things, the more women that are famous comedians, famous authors, famous this, the more that it's just normal to go see a woman and not think I'm seeing a woman. That is going to be a time when culture shifts. Now there will still be predators and there will still be sexual harassment. I'm not saying that solves the problem of those people, but it solves the problem of the people that aren't those people not knowing what to do about it. It's like, I am just figuring this stuff out myself. I've been socialized to be internally sexist to myself. So when I've experienced sexism, I know the feeling I get and it's disgusting and it's so many feelings. And then I don't even put it into context until years later. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things that Louis apologized to me about in an email a couple of years ago, I was like, I don't even remember him saying that to me. Like, Oh my God, that, wow, he's so sweet. He's owning up to all this stuff and half of it, I don't even remember. I mean, he must have a really good memory and I must've just been like, I don't know. And then one of his victims that was a victim of his uh, physical assault said, he apologized to me about a thing he didn't do to me. It must've been some other woman's thing. And I'm like, oh, that's possibly what happened to me is he's apologizing for all these creepy things he said, but he's not right that it was all to me. Some of it was to someone else. You, you start to mix up your, if you want to use the word victims. And so it was like that inherently wasn't feminist of me or understanding of, you know, I, I hear it and I'm like, he's amazing. He remembered I didn't instead of, I didn't even question like, well, if I don't remember that, then that probably didn't happen. You know, my memory's not that terrible. Um, I might not remember the details of everything. If you said word for word, what did he say? I would be like, well, I don't know, but it was along the lines of something, something, something. But so it's just like those little things where you're like, oh my God, I'm still learning about the feminist response to things or the, not even the feminist response to things, just the, I, I'm still undoing what my generation was brought up with you know, which was just like, guys are like that. Oh, well, this is what it's like being a girl. I mean, from the first time a guy jumped out of a parked car at the mall with me and my girlfriends and we were 11 and just started masturbating at us and we ran, we screamed. Um, but we froze at first and then we ran and screamed. And the guy that flashed me in the library when I was eight, it was just like, yes, there are men flashing and you like not, not fuck you, suck it up and deal with it. But just like, yeah, unfortunately it was like a conversation we just never had as a culture. Um, it's crazy.
So if you forgive women, especially ones my age, we're still learning ourselves. So anyway, that's why I'm not talking about it because I'm sick of talking about it. There's nothing to talk about. What I would encourage every man to do is make us rich. You know, I thought about Louis' joke about man is the greatest predator. And it's so funny. It's such a good bit. It's just brilliant. And it's so, it's put so well that if you ever want a man to have, man, talk about empathy, that bit where it's like, man is woman's greatest predator. And if she's straight, she has to date us. And it's like picking up a lion and being like, I hope this one's okay. I mean, what's so sick about it is he was basically confessing who he was and that line of like self-awareness that he had, but also like compulsion. And, you know, uh, when I saw that bit, it made me sad because I automatically thought a woman can't do this bit and be so acclaimed. Now you're going to go prove it. What I'm trying to say is I saw that bit and I went, oh, like imagine if I did a bit about black people getting followed around, um, stores because people think they're shoplifting. And I did a really intricate bit about it. Um, it might be really funny. It might be really true. Is it my story to tell? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, I'm going to say no. I'm not saying Louis shouldn't have done that joke or that I had that joke at the ready word for word and oh my God. But I was sort of disappointed like, huh, I have that premise as well. I talk about, you know, women just walk around knowing that premise. Like, yes, men are our greatest fear and we are just afraid of them. I mean, I've had that joke for a while about my dad always saying like, aren't you afraid of, well, first it was, um, Al Qaeda, then it was ISIS. And I said, I'm just busy being afraid of plain old men, you know, and women I know, and me, we've always had little bits here and there that are about, um, that fact, but we don't have the platform that Louis has at that point. And so our bits are set around comedy clubs and audiences don't really laugh when a woman says it, we're told we're bumming people out. So then the bit suffers from not getting enough work. And then we're not famous. So, and then Louie comes out with that bit and we are all like, that's been on the tip of our tongues, but we don't have your fame and power to just put it on TV. And also down here on the ground where you work out your stuff before you go on the TV, audiences don't like totally dig when a woman talks about her experiences. I mean, again, like my whole bit about sexual harassment that I did on my Netflix special, I was in New York city, you know, with young dudes who think they're woke. And I could see them being silent during that bit. The laughs decreased by half. And I don't know if it's like, should I laugh? I don't know. Is it appropriate? Or if they're like, I don't get it. But women were just like dying. And, and so men, I don't, again, have not been, and I've said this before, and I was saying it before the Louis thing came out. Men have not been socialized to laugh at us. That's why they don't think we're funny. They don't understand us. So a bigger cultural shift has to happen. And I think it can happen in the arts. I think it's very interesting that this is a lot of this is happening in Hollywood. And it's like, if you want to support women, physically go see their shows, follow them on Twitter, get the female point of view, which is just a point of view on life. You know, even if they're not talking about female things, you know, I follow all different kinds of people on Twitter. I get their opinions about everything. So eventually I've just trained myself to where, I mean, you know what I mean? Where, where I'm not going to this person who's black just to talk about black things. Like it's just, it's a mix. And so 
go support women. Like go see their work. Hi, Mitty. Um, and with that being said, my I don't give a fuck tour starts in January of 2018. Now, I'm not sure where I'm going to be able to tour next year because I don't know if my show is going to get picked up. I don't know if I'm going to go back to write on a different show. Um, oh, my God, you're the cutest, Mitty. So I have a few club dates coming out um, that I wanted to do these clubs January, February, March, and April. And then like the tour tour where I go like one nighter cities. Um, I'm probably going to go back to no, no, Mitty to a lot of those places that um, I hit in 2015, but I can't announce. So here's the deal. My ticket sales in some cities were like ridiculous this year, like thousand seats in Boston. And then some places I couldn't even pull in 200. And I was like, what the fuck's happening? These are places I've sold out before like three, 400. So to an astounding level, people were saying they didn't know about my dates. And I thought, oh, because I didn't have Chelsea lately in at midnight. This was the first year that, um, cause I wasn't on at midnight a lot this year cause I was in New York and it really does help to be on a giant platform like TV and say, go to my web. No mittens. No, 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 no. Mittens has not done this all day until I start putting a microphone in my mouth. She's trying to jump on the humidifier. Mittens just sit still. So, um, it really is like I'm on bands in town. I have a Facebook fan page. I have a website. I have Twitter. I have Instagram. I have Snapchat. Um, and then my publicist in every city would get me local listings, local interviews, radio interviews, and TV. And still people were saying, come to Phoenix as I'm on the plane leaving Phoenix. So it's like, I got to tell you guys, the only thing that works is being on my newsletter. So if you go to jenkirkman.com, click tour dates, and then in there is the newsletter or on my about page as well. I only send it out once a week. I send a personalized email. I'm telling you, things come up at the last minute all the time. Like I just booked a gig for November 29th in New York City performing at Caroline's, like Gloria Steinem, Janine Garofalo. It's like for the Ms. Foundation. Then I booked a last minute gig on Rhett Miller's um, fifth annual holiday extravaganza in New York City at the City Winery. That's going to be fun. Um, Janine's on that too. And so it's like the 23rd. Like those are all last minute things. And then like London came up all of a sudden. I knew I was going to go, but I didn't know when. And so if you're on my email list, you find out about these things. And I wouldn't get discouraged and go, oh, here are her tour dates. I guess she's not coming to Kansas City. It's like, you guys, you'd never fucking know. It's just, I, I don't know my year as clearly as most people. So things roll out, things pick up. I get stuff last minute. So, um, I know all the venues. I know all the best words. It's not a matter of, I don't know where to go or what. It's just, I'm plotting and planning with my agent, like all the time. My email list is the best way to know. Just please join it. It's one email a week. Just stay the fuck on it. (laughs) Because if you really, again, how do I help women? How do I not sexually harass? It's like, if you already aren't going to sexually harass someone, help women by supporting their art. Go buy my books on Amazon. Um, I can barely take care of myself and I know what I'm doing in other lives. I tell myself, just buy our art so that we don't have to, like I spent so much time promoting these shows that I couldn't make funny jokes on Twitter. I couldn't do other shit with Instagram. It was like 20 hours a week of just like promo. And then I had someone help me with it. It's like, it just shouldn't be that hard. You know, if we have something like a weekly email list, like just goddamn join it. And if 
I know you think, how, how is that feminism? I promise you it is because millions of people always made sure to know where Louie was. You know what I mean? Or any famous guy. So it's like, just do that. Um, start there, support women's work. So here's what's on sale that's left. Um, my Christmas comedy show, my Christmas amazing show that I'm doing on December 7th at the Hollywood Improv. I've got some friends that were in Hallmark movies who are funny people. I'm going to interview comedians telling dark stories. There's going to be silly songs and candy. It's such a fun show. And bring an unwrapped children's book because it will be donated to um, the Barnes & Noble book drive this year, going to underprivileged kids. So do that. Um, And then I'll have some raffles and the cash from the raffles will go to the food bank. LA food bank. So that'll be really fun. And I'll be there signing and selling books and, uh, other things. And then I will be, my lab test shows are coming back in 2018 where I work out new stuff. So those are already on sale all on my website, London. I'm coming six shows, January 29th to February 3rd. Those are going so fast. Um, the second and third of February are like seats away from being sold out the rest of the week. It's like, it's selling well, but there's still room. So I might recommend even a Monday, Tuesday show, because that's when the preview, the reviewers come and those shows are called previews and they review stand up comedy, which is insane. And every year I get a terrible review from the guardian or one of those pricks and I feel it affects ticket sales. So I would come and support me. Um, I'd love to sell out all these shows And, uh, I'll be saying hi after I have to figure out a cheap and expensive way to get books there. It's not that easy because I have to buy them myself and then sell them. So it's, we're figuring it out. Um, but that's all on my website, jenkirkman.com. That's the Soho theater. Unfortunately, I have to get right back to LA for something. So I will not be doing any other UK dates. Um, I have a relationship with the Soho theater and we do something together every year. So that's what that is. Uh, doesn't mean I wouldn't come back to the UK, but it's not happening right after. So, um, so pursuant to what I was saying, oh, and my Carolines, I'm coming back to New York city in January. Cause I've never really played Carolines as a headliner. And I, I know I'm, I'm asking for trouble because it's really in the heart of times square and Broadway. And it's like a lot of tourists. So it's not really a New York city gig as much as it's almost like a tourist gig, but it's cool. And I just love, I just love being in New York. So they love me and I love them. And they're like, come on down. So if you saw me already at Bell House or Highline, um, it'll probably be a lot of the same stuff, but you'll get to see how it's changed and grown. And then I'll probably do other stuff that I didn't do those nights. So I think you'll, I think you won't feel ripped off and it's just, you know, it's a night with me, but anyway, so pursuant to what I was just talking about with all this like harassment and men, you know, we're loving Jimmy Kimmel right now, right? We're loving him. He's being honest. My son, you know, the guns, everything. He's talking truth about, um, being, you know, being sad about mass shootings, crying on his show. He's talking about health insurance. So uh, people have been loving him. Now I'm reading this interview with him in New York magazine. And the thing that bothered me, and I don't think he's a sexist. I mean, his wife is a head writer of the show. They met because she was a writer on the show. He's dated Sarah Silverman. I mean, I, he's not one of these women aren't funny people, but I'm going to point out where a good guy like Jimmy and I met Jimmy once and I'll tell you my impression of him. 
I was a nobody comic. I mean, I still am. Oh, I have a funny story about Pilates today. And I was sitting with some comics at the improv and he came in with someone and that person was like, oh, hey, Jimmy, these are all comics, blah, 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 and blah. And he goes, hey, guys, nice to meet you. And then we had like a quick conversation. He wasn't like above it all or like, no, you can't be comics. I never heard of you. Like there's some people that aren't even famous and they're dicks like that. Like Harlan Williams thought I was a waitress at Largo. I'm like, we don't even, they don't even have waitresses there. I'm like, I'm backstage because I'm a comic. Like, dude. And I hate to say it, love of my life, one of my favorite comics, David Spade, when I first met him, I was backstage at UCB and he was asking me questions about the theater. And I was like, it took me five minutes to realize he didn't assume I was a comic. He thought I was like the house manager. I'm like, dude, I'm a fucking comic. So, you know, those are like your subtle little sexisms, right? So Jimmy, um, this is a perfect example where a good guy has a little bit of a blind spot and he doesn't know what he's saying and I'm going to break it down for you. So, um... He's talking about women in comedy. Um, hang on. Sorry, I thought I had it right here already. Of course I did. Of course I don't. Um... Okay, women. Oh my God, where the fuck is it? Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Um, Celebrity Apprentice, John McCain. He played the clarinet. Harvey Weinstein. Um, The Oscars. Comedy, Trump fatigue, Jimmy Fallon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, going viral, human beings. Um, what the dick? Where is it? Oh, he's talking about hosting a talk show as... Okay, here it is. How much longer do you think a format that 16-year-olds have no attachment to is destined to last? I think not only are talk shows going to survive, they're going to multiply. You're never going to have a show with the reach of Johnny Carson. Um, You're never going to have that again, but you're going to have shows geared toward an individual's taste. It might not be great for the big networks, but it's great for the consumer. I don't know if 16-year-olds are interested in TV talk shows, but they will be when there's a 16-year-old hosting one, and there will be a 16-year-old hosting one. Question. Well, given the omnipresence of late-night talk shows... Um, why do you think networks have been so resistant to give a woman or a person of color a show? Jimmy said, there are biases, but somebody's going to come along. It's not that no one has come along, Jimmy. It's that we're not giving the opportunity. I've pitched three separate late night ideas to Netflix, Amazon, True TV, Comedy Central, Showtime, Stars, HBO, all of their online things, FX, Fox, everything. I went so deep with Netflix on a show idea that actually filmed like a five minute reel. And I am so uh, skilled for that. And so many women I know are to the point where I'm like, all right, ladies, everybody, not everyone can be this good. Let's all stop being so amazing. It's just that we're not given the chance and we are trying to bust down doors and the doors are being locked. If one woman does something wrong on a late night show, then she speaks for all of us and we can't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, Mitty is right behind me. This is so cute. So it's, it's sort of a, 
unfortunate. Mitty. Mitty's. Hang on. I want to get this really cool picture. Mittens. You have to look because I got to get this picture. Oh my God. This is too amazing. This is too amazing. Mitty. Mittens. Mitty. Guys, hang on. I got to get this picture. Mitty. Gail. Come in here. I was going to call you in. I thought you were laughing. I'm recording my podcast, but Mittens is being so cute. She, do you see this one where she's looking up at me and I'm looking at her? And then look at this one. And then she was just walking. And then this is this one where she's just sitting there. Po- oh, God damn it. Hang on. Where she's just sitting there posing. Sorry. Um, do you want to talk? Oh. <laughs> It says, I am fun. Are we going to watch a Hallmark movie tonight? Yeah. There's one on right now that I didn't see before called um, A Song for Christmas. A pop star gets stranded at a country farm. Oh, is it a girl or a guy? I don't know. I, it's, it's been on for an hour. I was going to go lay in bed and watch the rest of it. Can you tape it? I have it on tape. Okay. That sounds important. Okay. All right. Well, I'm doing very important things here. <laughs> Mitty. Okay. Anyway, sorry, everybody. I'm trying to talk about serious issues and... Okay, um, but somebody's going to come along. The fact of the matter is there are many women who could have had late-night network talk shows if they wanted to. Yes, he's talking about Amy Schumer and Tina Fey, all these women that don't do late-night, that were like producing movies and running production companies. They were offered, all of them were offered The Daily Show. Uh, uh, The interviewer does a good job with this. And the interviewer goes, you know that? And he goes, yes. And there are many African-Americans who could have had late night talk shows if they wanted. If Chris wanted a t- Chris Rock wanted a talk show, he could have one. If Amy Poehler had wanted one or Tina Fey had wanted one, they would have had one. And the interviewer says, but the question is not whether Chris Rock or Tina Fey could get one. The question is whether the non-white guy equivalent of you, kind of a nobody in 2003, could get one. He said, I know what you mean. I think the market always decides. And when somebody great comes along, everybody's going to go, that's what we should do. So again, blind spot. The market would love a woman. They're not giving us one. Somebody great is coming along. There's so many of us. We're banging down. We're like zombies at the door. And eventually there are going to be so many dudes that have to leave because they're harassing everybody that they're going to have to let some of us in. And I think it's going to be a beautiful thing. And then there'll be a backlash and everyone will hate women and you know, the world will continue. Um, but anyway, I love Jimmy Kimmel. Just wanted to point out that he's, that's quite, not quite exactly my favorite thing I've ever read. Um, that little moment. Okay. So this is what happened. Uh, today and may I remind you all give this podcast five stars on iTunes Go to iSeemFun at gmail.com. Send me an email, something you want to talk about on the show. Go to facebook.com slash Podcast, And every episode is listed there. I engage with the comment sections. I love to hear what people say. Twitter, it's at Podcast. I love when people join that. That also helps with advertising because they know a lot of people see it. Um, and 
I'm part of the All Things Comedy Network. Go to allthingscomedy.com. There's going to be some cool stuff I'm doing in the new year, like some They Seem Fun episodes, but I might do them like video style and on a nice little set. So I think that could be cool. Um, and that's it. So, okay. I'm, so I go to, um, this is so my life. So my sister and I have been joking, like there's all these Hallmark movies about, um, oh, I'm famous and I go to this small town and just to get away and everyone loves me because I'm, you know, so I joked to her, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to this Pilates class, like in, you know, this part of Massachusetts, um, they're going to be like, oh my God, a celebrity's here. It's going to be just like a Hallmark movie. And I'm joking. I, I never get recognized at all. So I didn't think I was going to, but it was literally like, I told my sister right after it happened. I'm like this, it, it's like, it's like Larry David. It could be a sitcom is what I'm saying. I mean, it couldn't be, it's not that interesting, but it's almost it sounds like I'm lying because it sounds so cruel, but it's so true. So we do the, I do the Pilates class. Class is over. One of the students asked the female teacher, she's probably like, well, I don't know, 38 to 42. She's like, did you see Jimmy Fallon last night? And I'm thinking she meant the TV show. And then the woman goes, I did. She's like, he came on so late. And then I was like, oh, wait, I think it's comics come home that, show that Dennis Leary puts on in Boston where comedians that are from Massachusetts come back and do something. Although Jimmy's from upstate New York, but everyone thinks he's from here because he did fever pitch. I mean, I'm sure Dennis Leary knows he's not from here, but whatever. So there was some event. I don't know what it was. And so the woman was like, yeah, I mean, we went for a couple drinks and then we went there and I was like, wait, did he go first? Did I miss him? Like, but then he went on and, and she's like, and then someone else is like, I don't know if I like Dennis Leary's comedy. Like, and I'm thinking like Dennis Leary is so 30 years ago in terms of if you've already made a decision of if you like his comedy or not, like he's around, you know, like, so it's so weird to hear people talking about him. Like it's the first time. And this one woman's like, yeah, his humor can be a little dry, which is l- totally the wrong description for his humor. Like Stephen Wright's dry. Dennis Leary's not dry. He's very in your face. And I'm not saying any of this is bad. Like that's what he would say that too. Um, so they go, the one woman goes, I don't even know if I like stand up comedy that much. What does that mean? There's so many comics. You don't know if you, I don't know if I like music. Those people are fucking weird. Ladies, if you go to a guy's place and he doesn't have any tapes, well, uh, music run. I used to have a crush on this guy in college and we hung out once and then no, I went to his dorm room to pick him up. I knocked on his door and then he came out and then I looked in. I was like, you don't have any tapes. You don't have any cassettes or CD players. And he was like, yeah, I just don't like music that much. And I kept thinking about it the whole time we were drinking beers. I was like, what kind of freak show is this? So anyway, um, and we never went out again. He was strange. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so they're like talking about stand up, and I'm like, oh my god, literally nobody knows that I am a stand up or who I am, and I'm just keeping my head down, putting my sneakers on. 
this one, and the woman goes, I mean, stand up can be good, but, and they're just analyzing what stand up is. And once again, I'm screaming, you only saw men last night. You only saw men. You cannot judge all stand up on Dennis Leary, Jimmy Fallon, and what other men you saw. And then one of them was like, oh, there was this one guy who was really funny. He's from Needham. Needham is my hometown. And they're like, a comic from Needham? Even though the whole show is, again, comics come home, people that are from Boston. But she's like, yeah, I think he's going to be really huge. And I don't know who this person is. Maybe he's young. Maybe he's old. I don't know. But they literally kept saying, isn't that funny? And I wasn't even near Needham or in Needham. I was in like a different town, like 30 miles away. And they're like, it's just so funny when you see a comic from Needham and you're like, wow, that person might be like big someday. And it's like, I'm a comic from Needham who's on fucking TV. I have two Netflix specials. I've been on the Tonight Show. Like, I want to turn around and go, it's not that weird because somebody blatantly said something as ridiculous as like, I wonder if there's ever been a comedian from Needham. It was like something as ridiculous as that. And I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. This happens to me all the time where it's not that I don't even get recognized. The opposite times 10 happens where not only am I not recognized, I'm being forced to listen to a conversation about my job. (laughs) It's so bizarre. I guess it's how it feels when racist people are racist in front of black people and they're sitting there like, um, hello. Although... No, that's different. That's racism. Mine is just coincidence. I didn't mean to compare my experience to the experience of being black. You know what I'm saying? Don't, but someone will soundbite this and they'll put, okay. So you guys are going to get bonus podcasts this week. You're going to get two extra episodes. Um, it's actually two hours of standup I did live at the Bell House in New York, September 2014. The sound quality is excellent because it was taped right off the board. If you don't know what that means, get into showbiz. And um, yeah, so I'm releasing it. So enjoy. Happy holidays. Until next week, have fun.